it's a great privilege to be with you. Uh, I, I love coming here because the first time I came to the United Kingdom with John Wimber back in 1985, I remember having several conversations with people saying that churches can grow and they can get big, and they said only in America. But God has done it very much so here and done wonderful things, and it's great to see. Um, when I was in university, I had on my wall a psychedelic picture of Jesus. And most of you tonight probably don't even know what I'm talking about, but, and I'm not quite sure how to describe this, but if you look back in history, you might find some psychedelic something or others from back in the 1970s, and it was underneath it was this title, Jesus the Revolutionary. It's sort of like you take Jesus and you kind of make him art deco and make it colors that shine up under black light, something like that, which I lost somewhere along the way, and I cannot find it. Anyway, Jesus was indeed a revolutionary. You know, revolutions aren't always political in nature. Sometimes they take other forms. So, for example, we're all carrying something that caused a revolution. This thing, a mobile phone, is the term that you guys give to it. It was only 10 years ago that the first iPhone came out. In those 10 years, it's changed the way we work, the way we bank, the way we pay bills. It's changed the way we communicate. It's changed the way we do business. Changed the way we do education, the way we get our news, the way we do relationships, the way we celebrate, the way we make announcements and get information out, the way that we grieve, the way that we take care of people who are sick, and so much more has all been changed in an incredible way, in only 10 years. And not just in the developed world, but also in the developing world. It's been a revolution. And we certainly do live in revolutionary times, and some, sometimes you know, some people are struggling with how fast the changes are happening. But Jesus himself introduced a very radical change, and that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I'd like to take another look at the first couple chapters in the book of Acts, because I think... What Jesus is doing there is announcing and initiating a revolution. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 4, and then through verse 9, and then we'll look in Acts chapter 2. Once while he was meeting with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for what the Father had promised. Jesus said to them, I've told you what the Father promises. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus told them, You don't need to know about times or periods that the Father has determined by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. Then you will be my witnesses to testify about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken to heaven and a cloud hid him so they could no longer see him. And then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, When Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover came, all the believers were together in one place, and suddenly a sound, like a violently blowing wind, came from the sky and filled 
the whole house where they were staying. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, and the tongues arranged themselves so that one came to rest on each believer. And all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. So from the very beginning here, it's clear Jesus had a plan for what would happen after he ascended to heaven, a plan that was designed to change the world. And the plan was very simple, but actually very powerful, because his plan was to send the Holy Spirit upon his disciples in a whole new way, in a way that would change them and change the way that God worked through them ever after. A revolution is a radical change from what came before. And in these few verses, there are at least five ways in which the sending of the Holy Spirit would be a radical change from what came before. First of all, the Holy Spirit is revolutionary because when he came, he will completely overwhelm those who receive him. So he told them, wait in Jerusalem. Don't start the mission. Don't try to do this without the power. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come with his power. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, that term, baptized, most of our Bibles just kind of take right straight over from the Greek, just kind of translate it, and you just read baptized. That's the word it is in Greek as well. But it actually means to be completely immersed in something or to be overwhelmed by something. It's to have something that covers you and surrounds you and fills you. So the plan is that the disciples of Jesus should be completely overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. So much so that really this book, which in your Bibles is called the Acts of the Apostles, perhaps would be more accurately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The plan was not to simply admit that the Holy Spirit existed. That wasn't Jesus' revolutionary plan. There's a Holy Spirit and you should admit that he exists. The plan was not to get a nice, safe taste of the Holy Spirit. I felt a little tingly one day, and that was the Holy Spirit. Nope, that wasn't the plan. The plan was not to get a little bit of the Holy Spirit, like dipping your toe in the water or playing in the shallow end of the pool. The plan is to have more of the Holy Spirit than you know what to do with, to be overwhelmed by him, to be immersed in him. The plan is for the deep end of the pool, the plan and the promise is that we will be baptized, immersed, and overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. That is Jesus' intention. You know, over the past few years, I had a couple of younger pastors ask to meet with me. And they came and they said, you know, we want to know what your secret is. Every time we've seen you, every time you go places, all kinds of things happen. And we want to know how you do it. Like, what are you doing that makes all that stuff happen? What's, what's the secret that you're doing? And I laughed and said, it's not what I do. It's what was done to me. Because you see, most of the time, something has to happen to you before it can happen through you. It's not because I'm such a great prayer warrior or because I'm so holy or because, you know, I put in so much study or, or whatever it might be, it's simply because I was overwhelmed, overtaken, immersed in the Holy Spirit. I mean like unable to escape 
from the Holy Spirit, like three hours on the floor with fire in my body, encounter with the Holy Spirit. I can remember being in an empty warehouse. There was nobody else there, just me, on my face, overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit and hearing somebody yelling and wondering, why are they yelling? And then realized it was me that was yelling. I thought that if it got any stronger, I would die. It's that kind of overwhelming. And nothing, nothing was ever the same ever after that. From that point on, things started happening, even when I didn't particularly want them to happen. People around me began to experience God in whole new ways. People started getting healed. People started being set free from oppression and bondage. And that's what happens as you read the rest of the book of Acts. That's what starts happening to these people who, that we read about in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes on them, he overpowers them, and then wild things begin to take place. And that's what Jesus' plan is for all his disciples, and that is revolutionary. It may not look exactly like it did for me with everyone else, but the effect is the same. A revolutionary experience of your life being carried along by the Holy Spirit and not just going by what you can do yourself. So I ask you, don't you think it's about time to get into the deep end of the pool if you're not there already? If you ask him, he will send you the Holy Spirit and it will be a revolution in your life. Second, the Holy Spirit is revolutionary because he joins us into one new holy nation. During the time that Jesus is trying to impart this plan to his disciples, they keep coming back with this question, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they mean is kind of, it's actually kind of a nationalistic question. They're really asking, is it now that you're going to get rid of the Romans that are occupying our country and make Israel great again? They want what most people want. They want their tribe, their people, to be great. They want to be free. They want to be in control of their own destiny. They want to be able to shape the world into their image. But that is not the way Jesus was planning for it to happen. That was not the agenda of the Holy Spirit, and he was the one who had to be in control. And so for the Holy Spirit to overwhelm them also meant they had to give up their expectations. The Holy Spirit would take them to Israel, but he would also take them to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit would join them then with people from the ends of the earth and make them one new holy nation belonging only to God. And so when the Spirit came upon them, they became citizens of something in a sense beyond this age, almost beyond this earth, the kingdom of God. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit was for the disciples of Jesus, really the death of nationalism, the death of their tribalistic viewpoints that was centered only on their own people and a joining of them to all the peoples of the world. When the Spirit of God empowers us, when he gets a hold of us, when he really overwhelms us, he often calls us to places we didn't expect and to people we didn't expect. Around a century ago, there was a 
outbreak of the Holy Spirit that has now spread all over the world that began at a place in Los Angeles called Azusa Street. There were a couple of people from my city, Chicago, who were there. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and came back to Chicago and brought it with them. And they began a prayer meeting in Chicago, what people were coming to, where they were experiencing this power of the Spirit. A couple of women were coming to that, and it wasn't long before they also had the same experience. But it wasn't long thereafter. One, one day in the prayer meeting, the Lord spoke to them. He says, I'm calling you to go to a place called Para. They'd never heard of Para before. They didn't know there was such a place. They had to go to the library because they didn't have Google yet and look it up, and they discovered it was a district in the northern part of Brazil. Then they began to pray, well, how in the world are we going to get there? How are we going to get to Brazil? And they felt like the Lord said to them, go to New York City, go to a certain street on a certain day at a certain time, and I'll take it from there. So they got on the train, they went to New York, they went to the cross streets at the right time and stood there on the corner waiting and suddenly a man walked up to them and said, are you the two women who are going to Para? And they said, yes, we are. And he says, here are your tickets. And they went to Para. And they started churches. And today you could go to that district in Brazil and there are thousands, thousands of churches that trace their sort of history back to that event. That is what the Holy Spirit does. Now it might be that you... He'll call you across the street, maybe to your neighbor who came from some other part of the world. It might be that he'll call you to a bunch of teenagers or to children. It might be that he'll call you to people you didn't expect, to another city, to another place. It could be close, it could be far, but call you, he will. I wonder who might the Holy Spirit be calling you to in these days? Number three, the Holy Spirit makes a revolution because he makes us living witnesses of the resurrection. See, what Jesus is most concerned about is not their nationalistic concerns, but that they should be his witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will take them to the ends of the earth, and there, he says, they will be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, yes, they'll be the historical eyewitnesses of the resurrection, but they didn't need the Holy Spirit for that. But in their lives, in the way that they live, in the lives of all who were to follow, the Holy Spirit would make them living witnesses of the presence and power of the resurrected Jesus. It wouldn't just be a witness of something in history, but it would be a witness of something right now, right in front of your face. And in that sense, Everything that's happened since then is really the acts of Jesus and his resurrection through those who follow him. What is intended, in other words, is that when the Holy Spirit comes, we will become witnesses to the world that Jesus is alive because we will be living lives that are beyond human explanation. That's his, that's his intent for you. That's his plan for you, not to just go on the way you expect, but to live a life that cannot be explained by you, to do things that people say are impossible. People who know us, people who meet us, will begin to realize then there is something 
going on here that is different than the norm? And then we can point them to Jesus. A few years back, family in our church had a birthday party for their teenage daughter. And she wanted to have a sleepover for all of her girlfriends. And so she invited all of her school friends, a whole bunch of them, about, you know, 12 or 15 or 20, however many there were, to the sleepover. And it happened that her birthday fell on a Saturday evening. So they all came over for the sleepover on Saturday night. So the parents sent a message to all the other parents, which said, on Sunday morning, we go to church. So you have a choice. You can pick your daughter up before 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, or you can give us permission to take her with us to church, and then we'll take her to church and bring her back, and you can pick her up at noon, which I think is a very clever evangelistic uh, tactic. <laughs> so sure enough, there is one girl who had never been in church in her life. Her parents had been in a church in their youth but had not touched darkened the door of a church in over 25 years. And they did not want to get up on Sunday morning, and so they said, oh, just take her to church. What could go wrong? So she came, and she liked it. And she says, can I come back? And of course, we said yes. And she came back the next week. And then she came back the next week. And then she came back the next week. And then she went home, and she said on Sunday afternoon to her father, as he asked her, was it in a good time, she said, I think I'm starting to believe all this stuff about Jesus and his resurrection. Whereupon her dad became very concerned and thought, I'd better check this out. Make sure she's not involved in a cult. So the next Sunday he turned up. And as it happened, I met him that Sunday, the very first Sunday. And he comes up to me and he squints his eyes at me and he kind of looks at me really hard and he says, I don't know what's going on in this place. But there's something powerful here, and I'm going to keep coming till I find out what it is. <laughs> he could feel something just in the one visit, so he kept coming. And about three or four weeks later, we were praying for someone for healing up front. And they were sick. We were praying for them. And you could see the spirit falling on this person. And he saw something there, and so he came up to look. He just wanted to look. And when he got past the first row of chairs, boom, the Holy Spirit fell on him, and he started, his hands started shaking. And I saw this happen, and I thought, uh-huh, he's about to find out right now. <laughs> so I went over. I says, uh, what's happening? My hand is shaking, and I can't stop. Yeah, I see that. Why don't you get a little closer? Okay. Pretty soon his whole body is shaking. What's going on? What's happening to me? Well, that's healing power from Jesus. Jesus is alive, and he's like sending his power, and he's putting power in your hands so you can pray for that sick person. Why don't you go put your hand on them? Which he did. And he saw that person get healed right then and there. Needless to say, his life was turned upside down. It wasn't long before he was one of the key team members going out with our next church plant. That's what it means to be a living witness to the resurrection, that we demonstrate in our lives by things that cannot be explained any other way that Jesus is alive. Number four, the Holy Spirit will be revolutionary because he'll be fundamentally 
unpredictable and uncontrollable. You see, on that day that the Holy Spirit came on these first disciples, the first thing that happened was the sound of a violent and powerful wind that filled the room. I rather imagine it would be like the sound of what we call a tornado. It's a roaring sound that will frighten you. There is nothing tame about the coming of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, watch out. 22 years ago, I was in another city, not far from here, and meeting in a church building, an interior room with no windows. It was, you know, it was no windows to the outside. It was a little bit like this room. When suddenly we had that experience, it was the sound of a violent wind filling the room. And we were terrified. Because I thought, if we're hearing that sound, there's no telling what he's going to do next. And certainly there was not. Because there was a woman on the front row. She was a very dignified woman, young woman, highly educated, the best that your country has to offer, from a wealthy family. You just looked at her and I just thought, she has class we Americans can never even get close to. Okay? Like, this is a woman who has just that something that only the upper crust of this society can do. And the Holy Spirit fell on her, and she started falling out of her chair like a drunk lady, laughing hysterically, and then rolling around on the floor. And she grabbed her Bible and began pounding it on the floor. And this went on for an hour and a half. What we found out later was that during that time, God gave her a vision of standing in Parliament and speaking on behalf of God's truth. You might be interested to know that she is now sitting in your House of Lords. It all came to pass, but it started when the wind came. When the wind comes, there's no telling where you'll end up. You know, life with the Holy Spirit is not meant to be an entirely predictable life. Yes, you should work. Yes, you should pay your bills. Yes, you should be a responsible adult. But in the midst of all that, the Holy Spirit will still be working in unpredictable ways. Conversations you didn't expect might happen. Prayers may be answered in amazing ways. You may find yourself experiencing things or doing things you never in your wildest dreams thought would be part of your life lost things even, found again. One of my favorite stories is a friend of mine who got married, and a week after she got married, her husband went on a float trip, which is where you put a rubber raft in a river and you float down about five miles fishing, and then you get out, and you know, presumably with your fish, and on the float trip, he lost his wedding ring within like, they'd only just been married, so it wasn't quite fitting properly, and it was off into the water, somewhere in the five miles of river. And they were very upset, as you can imagine, and so he decided, I'm going to ask God to help me find the ring, and I'm going to go back down that river and see if God tells me. 
Sure enough, he got partway down the river and he felt like God said, go over to that side of the river. So he paddled over to that side of the river and then he felt like, go over there by that little still place in the river. So he went over there and he looked down and there was his wedding ring right there. You never know what might happen when you trust and follow the Holy Spirit. I have found that following the Holy Spirit was not at all what I thought it would be. This next January, we will celebrate our 42nd birthday as a church. And you should know that the church that we've become is not the church I envisioned 42 years ago. A few things are what I expected. Like one of the things I wanted when we started was, it was a big thing to me, I wanted to have worship with guitars. And we do have worship with guitars. And I wanted to have a church where we didn't have to get dressed up, and we don't. Although some of our people do dress up, but not me, and that's all that matters. <laughs> but a lot of the big things are not what I expected. I didn't expect to have so many women in so many places of leadership. Back in the 1970s when we started, that would have been very radical. But the Holy Spirit led us there in all kinds of amazing ways. One of the most surprising things that happened was God took us, and we were basically a bunch of university-educated white folks, and he turned us into an incredibly diverse church. Now today, we, have, we are very economically diverse, people from the, all economic brackets, people from 55 different nations of the world, we have every racial and ethnic group that you can imagine and a whole bunch of in-betweens. And we are only 38% white and the Holy Spirit caused that to happen. It was not what we expected. It was way beyond. A few years back, somebody asked me, have you achieved your dreams for your life? And I laughed and said, we passed those up a long time ago. <laughs> what the Holy Spirit had in mind was much, much more much, much more than what I could have imagined. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he is likely to have some surprises in store for you. But let me tell you, all his surprises are great surprises. Not always easy, but great. And with him, you'll never be bored. Lastly, number five, he will carry us to all the peoples of the world. It's interesting that on that day that the Spirit fell on those first disciples, after the wind and the fire... They all found themselves praising God in languages they had not learned. Languages from all over their known world. And I don't think they were expecting that. There was no precedent for that in any of their history. Nothing like that had ever happened before. They were expecting power. But I doubt they were expecting to be speaking in languages they hadn't learned. They did not ask for this kind of thing. And yet that is what happened. In those first moments of being overwhelmed by the Spirit, why was that the first result? Why would God choose praying in other people's languages to be the first thing that happens when he sends the Holy Spirit to his church? Well, first of all, it's a sign of God's intention in the Spirit's work to break the curse of the Tower of Babel. You see, in the Bible, the Tower of Babel is where God confused the languages of mankind and split us up so that our evil could not spread as quickly. Our, where sin has brought division and confusion and misunderstanding and all manner of wars and injustices on the day of Pentecost, when God sends his spirit, God began on that day 
to reverse all of that division. That is the day God started breaking down the walls that stand between people and that divide us one from another. Looking to the great day when we all stand as one body, one holy nation before his throne, people from every tribe and nation and language. That would be pretty radical in itself. But that is not all, because there's a second reason. When the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in all these other languages, it was a sign that the good news about Jesus was meant to be carried to people from every tribe and every language. That what was happening with them was destined to go to the whole world. And in fact, on that very day, thousands who heard them speaking and praising God in their own native languages were converted and baptized. So the Spirit would include all the peoples of the world, not just Jews, but all the peoples of the world. And that was revolutionary. But there was yet one other reason. Think of it this way. In order to learn a language truly, you have to become close to the people who speak that language. Because the language is kind of the way they think. So you have to like get into that. You have to kind of get into their heads, into their hearts. You have to fall in love with the sounds, fall in love with that pattern of thinking and speaking. To speak someone's language is to come close to them, to honor them, to love them. And that's what God is doing by the Spirit. He's showing them this gospel is going to go to the ends of the world, but it's going to go to each in their own language. They aren't going to have to be, all become Jews and speak Aramaic or Hebrew. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be not you having to come close to God, not you having to become a Jew, but God coming close to you on your terms, in your language, in your culture, in your hearts, he will come to you. One commentator put it this way, he said, speak a language, speak a people. God speaks people fluently. And God, with all the urgency and power that comes with the Holy Spirit, wants the disciples of his only begotten son to speak people fluently also. That is the beginning of a revolution that the Spirit performs. I'd like to finish with one man's story about his first encounter with being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. A man who came to our church a little bit skeptical. I'm not sure I like this. I'm not sure what about all this Holy Spirit stuff. And then he describes about what happened to him. He says, two weeks after joining Vineyard, my wife and I attended a conference. I was new to learning about the Holy Spirit and how to walk in the gifts. Growing up, the Spirit was the mysterious and unknown part of God that we didn't really pay attention to. I'd spent a long time feeling at arm's length from God, desperately wanting to encounter God's love. That night, I was not feeling much at all, and I was frustrated and talked to my wife about how frustrated I was. About that time, Steve passed by and asked how we were doing, and my wife asked if he would pray for me because I was really frustrated. Steve sat down next to me, and I told him where I was and that I simply wanted God to reveal himself to me. And Steve said, okay, you have to be ready for that. You know, once you invite God to show up, he's going to mess with you and rearrange everything. It was the only thing that mattered to me. So Steve prayed, Lord, will you come and show your power? 
I waited, not sure what would happen next. Nothing seemed to be happening. I was thinking Steve would stop praying in a minute and tell me we'll all have to try again another time. Instead, he said, I really feel God's presence. I still felt nothing. Then I started noticing my legs spasm a little. Then my eyelids began to flutter. So I tried to relax my body so I wouldn't be making anything happen and tried to stop moving my eyes. But the more I tried, the more they went and they began to go nuts. Fluttering grew more exaggerated. Steve asked me what's going on and I had no idea. He says, well, don't try to figure it out, just let it happen. Then he announced, okay, here it comes, like he was seeing a dip on a roller coaster. And suddenly my whole body began to shake from my very core out. My hips were uncontrollably shifting in the seat, my legs were twitching, my hands were shaking, my breath was like I was breathing between sobs, I, even though I wasn't crying. And it was the strangest thing, I was completely coherent, I could hear all the conversations, but couldn't stop. After a while, the shaking would come in waves. And with it, God would bring to my mind ways I was not trusting him. And once I would confess that out loud, the shaking would subside. This must have continued for 45 minutes or longer, and eventually they said we had to leave because the church was being closed. The shaking stopped long enough for me to get to the car. My wife had to drive us home because I continued shaking so much I had to lay down in the car. In fact, it lasted well into the middle of the night. I went to sleep shaking. And I'd be awoken at night by my shaking body as God would bring to mind more things to give up to him or show me how he was faithful in this or that way, and I would praise him. I've never had an experience like this since, but I've been learning more and more, and I've seen prophecy and dreams and tongues and healing all in my own life. God continues to reveal himself to me, and life has never been the same, and all I want is more. And I want to say to you tonight, there's more. There is more.